Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Giles Gale, Head of European Rate Strategy. And if you're worried about why Imogen isn't leading off today, fear not, because I'm joined today by our global market specialists, Imogen Bacher and Jan Navruzzi. And before we continue, I just want to remind everyone that you can pose questions to us by reaching out to us at bondcast at natwest.com. Okay, so Imogen, you're first because today was the Bank of England day. And what I want to know is what we have learned. So how does everything alter our expectations for policy going forwards? Yeah, so, well, it was an interesting meeting today. I think they delivered on the 25 basis point hike as we expected. Um, and actually that was with um, quite a hawkish shift in the vote. So um, the vote was six, three, six for 25 basis point hike, but three for um, a bigger hike, a 50 basis point hike. Whereas we had penciled in, you know, perhaps a dovish skew to the vote, seven, two. So on a headline that appears to be a kind of hawkish delivery, but actually, on all the other elements, um, the Bank of England was much more dovish, we think. So this was a monetary policy report meeting. So we got updated forecasts for both inflation and for growth. Um, inflation in the near term was revised up, but their um, inflation forecasts over the longer term, and particularly the three-year point, were revised down quite significantly. That went from 1.6 to 1.3. So what the bank's telling you there is that with the mar current market pricing or the market pricing that was current prior to the meeting. <laughs> um, they're implying that that um, inflation over that three-year horizon will get to 1.3%. Um, growth was also revised down lower, um, not, not a significant change in this year, but over the two-year and three-year horizon, um, that was, well, the year-on-year -year rate was essentially very small negative and then very small positive, so sort of stagnating growth over the next couple of years. Um, the guidance around further tightening was also slightly diluted versus the last um, forecast round. So they um, had revised that down already to further tightening likely being required. So the committee judging that further tightening may be required. And this is now not all the committee, but only some further, some committee members think that some further modest tightening might still likely be required. So a little bit of a, a dilution there, I would say, in terms of what, what tightening we're to get. And then the final element that, well, was in line with our expectations, but we probably sat at the dovish end of expectations was on quantitative tightening. Um, the uh, guidance was that they would be now kind of starting the preparatory work, setting the working groups in place, um, you know, perhaps a, a more formal consultation process with investors. Um, that would take place between now and August. In August, they will report back to us their findings, but they won't decide on whether, and that's important, not just about when, but whether to begin active guilt sales uh, until a subsequent meeting. So guilt sales will not begin before August, essentially, or even at August meeting. Um, that's kind of in line with our expectations that, that we wouldn't get an announcement on active sales until Q4 of this year, uh, and they wouldn't be beginning until 2023. So a hawkish sort of headline delivery, but actually on all other elements, um, and certainly around future tightening, uh, quite dovish. And that's really the way that the markets took it, right? Um, I mean, you know, certainly, certainly 
the first move was to take this very, very dovishly. And actually, we've had an incredible, an exceptionally volatile day because um, just before we record, markets are roaring back in the other direction. Um, but you know, if we take this, I mean, it, overall, do you consider that the the dovish knee jerk is that the right one? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you're right. The the knee jerk reaction was particularly dovish. Markets are priced out, you know, a kind of full hike, full 25 basis point hike over the next sort of six months, let's say. Um, we're seeing, you know, one year, one year rally again, like 25 basis points. So it, it's, it was a significantly dovish reaction led by the front end, which, I, I, you know, I think that was the right one. We've been saying for some time, you know, on this podcast as well, that we've increasingly been feeling like market price has become detached from the Bank of England's guidance uh, and today just really reinforced that message I think you know there was nothing about we've been talking for a while how we only see one additional hike, rate hike now this year so we had May which we've just been delivered today and then August penciled in um, and our risk case was that we might see two additional hikes next year after a pause after August. Um, but there was really nothing about today that made us think that that risk case has become any more likely. So we haven't updated our base case. We still see just one additional 25 basis point hike this year, um, which we think fits with the bank's guidance and, and what was, you know, what they told us today. Um, but markets are still detached from that. <laughs> so there was already, uh, you know, repricing to be done. Uh, but I think that, that there's still further to go. Um, so we, you know, the, the trades that we've been talking about going into this, just being like received one year, one year, or receiving one year, one year versus being short gilts further up the curve, uh, or receiving front dated kind of uh, August or September um, MPC Sonia, still look super attractive to us. We still sit on the more dovish end of, of market expectations and think that there's a lot more still to be priced out in terms of bank rate pricing. Okay, thanks very much, Imogen. Um, we're going to go over to the US now with Jan because it's been a super busy central bank week and last night we had the Fed. Um, what have we learned there? And um, well, I suppose, uh, you know, how, how did that compare to the very, uh, let's say, hawkish expectations um, into that? All right, so the Fed delivered exactly what they pretty much promised. We got the 50 basis point hike, the first one uh, since the 2000s and uh, the early 2000s. And uh, we also got the announcement of quantitative tightening, uh, which they're going to start June 1st and ramp up to 95 billion across treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, uh, 60 billion treasuries, 35 in MBS uh, within three months. So that's a quite fast of a, a scale up in pace. It's also almost double the 50 billion uh, runoff pace, which we had during the last quantitative uh, tightening a couple of years ago. As far as rate hikes go, Powell, uh, they delivered 50 basis points uh, as was more or less priced in. But really, the question was a bit forward looking. Were they going to commit to 75 basis points? or no. Uh, as was our expectation, Powell poured cold water in that, basically saying there's really no need, 50 basis point is a fast enough base, and we're actively considering, uh, we're not actively considering at this stage uh, a 75 basis point hike. Uh, fair enough, but looking at the next couple of meetings, it looks like 50 basis points are uh, like the firm standard, which is kind of what we expect as well. We have uh, at NatWest Markets, our forecasts are for 15 June, July, uh, sorry, May, June, July now, and then uh, we have 25 for the remaining meetings in this year, which is more or less the message that we got. 
However, the rest of the press conference was pretty hawkish in our view. It didn't really kind of back off from the need to tighten the even from the get-go, he was very kind of apologetic about the impacts of inflation on on the you know the average economic citizen, uh, and pretty much saying that he understands that these rate hikes are going to be tough. And uh, of course, it's easy to see the sympathy in that inflation is very hard. Uh, it is very hard on the, the entire consumer base. But uh, that being said, it, everything seems to be on track, and we kind of feel like this is the peak hawkishness for market pricing. Okay, um, so building on that thought then, um, peak hawkishness from, for market pricing, um, you already sort of lent bullish, um, was that two weeks ago? Um, how, how does this leave your, your rates views uh, you know, sort of longer term? Yeah, so uh, with the peak hawkishness, uh, our idea is that markets are pretty accurately priced in on what the Fed's going to deliver. That being said, that kind of the risks are pretty uh, symmetric on, on the curve uh, for the very, very uh, near term, which means that uh, for the next three months until the September uh, meeting where we think the pace could slow down, until then, if anything, odds for a larger hike are uh, probably greater than a smaller one. So we're not uh, going, we're not going to rush and try to be long twos as you could kind of see like a, another shift higher in yields there. But that being said, uh, if the market is priced to kind of all call it perfection in the front end, and if we get exactly what's delivered, the next thing to look out for will be uh, the demand side. So can the economy handle all these hikes? Can the economy handle uh, rates at above neutral rate? We're not saying they necessarily, the economy necessarily cannot. It's just that you, uh, we, when we took the, I guess the risk of balance to an inflation which might slow down and demand also slow down, you kind of see this outperformance of the long end uh, as, well, we have a little bit more certainty about the path of the Fed and as some economic indicators are already showing uh, slowdown in demand. We don't buy into the recession story, but we do buy into the fact that the Fed is hiking in the face of slowing demand. So with that, we're now more comfortable suggesting uh, entering into like a, a full-size, because uh, long intense. Before the FOMC meeting, we had kind of started scaling into it, and now we suggest kind of adding the last portion at the 3% level today. Okay, so full conviction on, uh, on, on US rates then. Fine. So, okay, in addition to the Fed, um, just before, just I think it was just before the meeting, wasn't it? There was a you know, the very technical but important um, event of the refunding announcement from the Treasury. Um, so maybe you can just run through the key takeaways from that for us. Yeah, well, the, with, the, with the very technical, I got the cue, keep it short. <laughs> not at all, not uh, at all. Well, uh, just, yeah, of course, very quickly. This was perhaps the last cut uh, since Treasury's large issuance announcements uh, after the COVID shock, which required the need for uh, larger financing. Uh, we got pretty much in line what we expected with the small uh, tweak in sevens and twenties. We had one billion cuts across all nominal coupons uh, and two uh, and three in twenties. What we got was more uh, two billion in sevens, two billion in twenties, and everything else was reduced by a billion. Uh, tip sizes were increased, not because we don't think that the market needs more tips auction sizes, but Treasury wants to maintain the percentage of tips as marketable debt at a, at least a stable level. And that's exactly what happened. We got $1 billion in 
uh, in the 10 year tips, 1 billion in the, in the five year tips. And a, a large portion of this where we differ from uh, a lot of consensus views or generally like the TBAC's uh, previous recommended financing was due to uh, our views that Omicron did not really impact activity as much as it was feared earlier on. And the, the tax receipts in April were exceptionally strong as we kind of touched upon last week. And uh, the trend continued very, very strong uh, cash inflows to the treasury, which kind of took a little bit of the pressure to immediately uh, over, keep, continue overfunding themselves. And it looks like the treasury is in a pretty good spot to handle QT, which will directly flow through their balance sheet as they have to repay more debt to the, to the Fed and kind of finance in the privately uh, held marketable debt. Uh, so I guess that's it. We got reductions more or less in line with what we expected, increases in tips more or less in line with what we expected. I'll look forward for more uh, reduction in bill auction sizes. There's going to be a new benchmark coming at the August refunding, the four-month one. There's been strong reception for that. There's clearly demand for bills. Uh, and in the meantime, uh, we will be looking for bills staying rich against the OIS, just purely out of the their scarcity value. All right, thank you, Jan. I guess with that, we can move over to Europe then. Um, we obviously had the Fed and the Bank of England in their uh, blackout period or, or quiet period, I think they officially call it, uh, last week, which meant that, um, well, not which meant that, but the ECB was pretty quiet too, uh, but obviously not wanting to be left behind this week when we're getting updated guidance from everyone else. We've had a pretty active week for ECB speakers, uh, and I guess they've been kind of shifting the needle really on, on policy direction. So, so what have we learned, and how is your view, I suppose, on the ECB evolving as a result of, of everything we've heard this week? Well, I, th I think to be honest with you, you, you overstated a little bit, Imogen, uh, with the, this idea that they're shifting the needle on policy guidance. Um, but the, the, the needle is shifting a little bit, right? Um, I mean, we've had three reasonably important uh, speakers this week, um, all from the um, executive board. Um, so you know, Schnabel, Isabel Schnabel, is, um, you know, she's, she has been leaning more hawkish recently and you know, I, I would describe her as kind of the the bellwether uh, for, for hawkish sentiment and essentially what she said um, in so many words in, in, in far more more words than this was that she thinks that July ought to be our base case for a rate hike I think you know I mean reading between the lines you'd never say it quite like that but you know assuming that there isn't a you know, pretty significant fall off in um, ac economic uh, activity and you know, that things sort of more or less track as expected. Um, and so you know, that's a fairly big if, to be honest with you, given the uncertainties from you know, what's happening in Eastern Europe and, and China, you know, these you know, major uncertainties that we, we know all about and have discussed at length on previous podcasts. Um, but you know, assuming things track uh, in line, we should be looking at a July rate hike um, from her perspective, I think. Um, Lane was a little bit more circumspect. Um, I mean, to be honest with you, he didn't really, he didn't really express much of a view in a speech that he gave today. It was you know, one of these lengthy sort of surveys of the data and so on, you know, a lot of on the one hand, on the other hand, you know, a lot of recognition of higher inflation um, expectations in particular, um, particularly from businesses and households and so on. So, you know, I would say a little bit of a shift from him, but uh, no strong conclusions. Uh, no, I think you know, still in 
in the, in the spirit of keeping optionality um, on their side. And then Panetta, who is you know, at the dovish extreme, um, you know, he was just, you know, I guess, high, he, he was really going back to the, the, the slower Q1 growth um, and the slower hard data overall. And you know, I think that, that, that that's one of the things that we're all grappling with really is that the, the hard data is pointing to more weakness than some of the surveys that um, have been coming out more recently and arguably you know, maybe a little bit more and more timely and a little bit more forward looking. So you know, let's see what wins out there. Moving on, I guess, to what this means for markets then, you know, you, well, we're off the desk, so we don't know what exactly they're doing now, but you made reference earlier to the fact that, you know, gilt yields and, and UK market was rallying quite significantly and that kind of spilled over into Europe as well. Um, and, you know, on the day, the rates and, and yields were still lower when we, when we left. Um, but it's been, a, I guess, a symbolic week this week for fixed income globally. We've hit this kind of 1% in bunds, 2% in gilts, and 3% in treasuries. Uh, and regular listeners and readers will know that that 1% target in 10-year bunds, well, that has been our target for, for some time. So how are you thinking about bunds from here, I guess, with you know the evolving message from the ECB and, and everything else that's going on in the world? Yeah, listen, I mean... I can't listen to you telling us, telling us that the the sorry that the the Bank of England is sort of maybe leaning or you know, confirming a slightly more dovish tilt compared to what the market has in mind, and Jan essentially saying similar about the Fed, um, without at least being a little bit cautious about just saying, oh, the risks are clearly skewed to um, ongoing an ongoing sell-off in in Europe. And you know, alongside that, I'm I'm also you know very aware that the front end, at least you know, it's, it's, it's moved a lot this morning, actually. Um, this morning I think we, that we were, you know, if you consider essentially you know, two possible outcomes in the market's mind, either three hikes or four hikes this year. I mean both very Know, very hawkish expectations in my opinion the market this morning was leaning pretty heavily towards the four hike version of uh, you know, those two scenarios um, you know, something like 60 percent priced in for that that's actually moved back quite a bit i'd have to check but listen i i think you know we're probably more like two or two, two or maybe you know, we're, you know with risks of three um and so you know Again, it's it's difficult to be max max bearish on longer term rates when you have this more uh, more kind of constructive view at the front end. But you know that again has been the way that we've been playing it for for quite a while. Um, I I actually think that the shift um, in the ECB may still be something which um, can can continue to build into the summer. Um, so that is that's one thing. I'm also, you know, I also think that it's important that the ECB, for example, has been actually pretty supportive for the market through its gross asset purchases, which in the short term are really what matter. Um, it's not net asset purchases that uh, we should really be focusing on again in the short term. And that's something that, that won't be sustained at quite such a, a, a such a strong pace. Um, you know, I, I look at the the you know, the I guess the the data on the the survey side and you know, some of the the details on, uh, on on inflation they all look reasonably robust and you know sort of 
point or continuation of the uh, the, the high inflation theme. Um, now, I, I think that fiscal slippage and you know, the fact that you know, so I mean, quite a few governments uh, are already sort of behind their um, you know, their their usual sort of rhythm for this point in, in the year. So they'll have to presumably do some catch up a little bit later. Now, I, I can still see lots of bearish arguments, basically. Um, of course, valuations matter, um, but you know, our models have always kind you know, have always suggested that the risks are on the upside of 1% in bunds, and that is still the way that I am biased. Yeah. So I guess away from core rates and the other kind of symbolic level that was reached in European fixed income was in Italy. They also, well, I don't know if it closed above, but certainly touched 3% in 10-year BTP yields. And that put the spread of 10-year BT, BTPs over bonds at 200 basis points. So inevitably, we're starting to get more and more questions from clients around you know, this kind of age-old question about the risks of debt sustainability in Italy, and particularly now in light of the ECB stepping away. What, how does your assessment of the kind of debt sustainability risks for Italy look from here? And, and are investors right to be worried that, that this is a major risk for BTPs. Okay, so this is something that always comes up um, uh, whenever BTPs are widening aggressively. And now I, I think it's something honestly, which is overplayed. Um, you know, if you, you know, if, if you look seriously at the debt sustainability analyses, um, no, I think it, it, you, you have to be pretty aggressive to, to, to see uh, the debt to GDP ratio widened dramatically. I mean, it, you know, it clearly it could in in uh, a recession, um, you know, if, if we have a recession later this year or, or next year. And um, yeah, but then I think your base case would still be that it would um, you know, just stabilize at a higher level, say you know, low 160 sort of you know, percent sort of area. Um, and presumably in that sort of environment, you would expect the ECB to, uh, to, 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 to come back um, and, and support the market overall via um, you know, more of a commentative policy and potentially a restart of quantitative easing as well. Um, on the other hand, you know, I think if you, you know, if, if, you ask the, if you ask the question slightly differently and pose it as what sort of level could be uh, virtually then. Now, I think then what you would say, okay, well, I mean, the, the kind of standard steady state kind of you know, um, analysis suggests that if you assume that over the long term, Ital Italian growth may be, you know, real, real growth may be stabilized as just above 1% uh, annualized. Yeah, um, I think that that's, that's feasible. Um, and that inflation were to return to say one and three quarter percent, something a little bit below the ECB's target because you know, there's an ongoing need for Italy to kind of competitively uh, disinflate and regain a little bit of competitiveness vis-a-vis -vis, um, Germany in particular. Uh, obviously that was one of the big themes of the, the last 20 years um, going in the other direction. Then you know, really, you know, if, if we were to move to something like 4% um, for, for, for long-term Italian yields, then you might start to have uh, a problem because you, you, know, you, you, you would be asking Italy to be running 
uh, primary primary surplus of you know, in, in excess of one percent over the long term, and I think that, that is is really really sustained. Um, but it is important, and I'll just end on this uh, on on this point. It is important to realise that Italy's um, total cost of debt is relatively low. Uh, you know, it's sort of one, you know, two and three quarter percentage points, um, something like that across the uh, across the whole mix. Uh, reduced further by the fact that so much of it is held by the euro system anyway. And now that portion will become more expensive as the ECB starts to raise rates. But the the market component of this will only filter in reasonably slowly because remember, Italy's average life of bond debt is over eight years. And so you know, that would only work its way in reasonably slowly. So I don't think that we're panicking at this point by any means, but I do think that we're getting to the sorts of levels where the ECB might reasonably say, you know, 200 basis points higher funding costs for the Italian government that has a consequence that has a consequence for the way that mortgages are priced and Italian loans are priced this is financial fragmentation maybe we should be actually doing something about that rather than just talking about it and I'd say you know, going back to the ECB communication that we've had this week there hasn't been anything concrete on that just the usual promises that oh we can do more but I think that they might need to start being a little bit more specific. Okay, something to watch out for then, but uh, I'm glad you're, you're not as worried as perhaps other investors might be. If you like today's episode, um, even allowing for the switcheroo on the, uh, on the lead off or line off, um, please hit the like button uh, to show your appreciation and click subscribe so that you can listen to our latest episodes as soon as they're available. Thanks again and see you next week.